next week. All right, let's turn together to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Turn there in your Bibles with me. If you want to follow along in the blue pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1021. 1021. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John is a short shorter letter, almost at the end of the New Testament, so it might be easier if you don't know where it is to go to the end of the Bible and work backwards. 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. We'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning, just 10 verses. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I want you to picture a world with me. I'm going to describe a world to you. I want you to to, to picture it with me. A world where... People don't believe in absolute truth, that there's things that are objectively true and things that are objectively not true. A world where new spiritual teachings are popping up on a regular basis, always something new coming out, a a new way to think about spirituality, a new way to think about your soul. A world where even Christians are unsure whether Jesus matters or not, a world where Christians are unsure whether this book is really true or not, a world where the idea that sin is serious and salvation is real seems antiquated or narrow-minded maybe. What world is that? What world have I just described? It sounds a lot like the world we live in today. That's right. It does sound like the world we live in today, but I'm also describing the world where John lived when he wrote this letter. We, we can thoughtlessly come to a letter like this and just assume the world where this letter originated is light years away from where we're at. Maybe there are a couple truth statements that were good for them that could also be good for us, but other than that, what could we possibly have in common with these people? Well, almost everything. Almost everything. Yes, the Christians John wrote to lived in a different time. They spoke a different language. They had different traditions than us. But ultimately, they wanted the same things out of life that we want. 
They had the same fears and dreams that we have. Their lives were messy and imperfect, and they needed a perfect Savior like we do. They also carried some of the same uncertainties and questions that we do. Questions and uncertainties like, can the gospel really work in a world where people don't believe in absolute truth, in a world where new spiritual ideas are popping up all the time? Is, is this really effective and worth it in a world where even Christians are unsure whether or not Jesus matters, in a world where the idea that sin is serious and salvation is real is antiquated? John is writing here to Christians that were unsettled. They, they felt shaky in their faith. They felt unsure of who they were and who Jesus was. They're unsettled by competing truth claims that they hear. They, they've heard what, what, what they've been taught is true, but then they're hearing other things that are claiming to be true that disagree with this. They're unsettled by the changing culture around them and how to think about it. They're unsettled by the sin they see in their own lives. He's writing to say, I know you're unsettled, but I want you to know you can be confident in Jesus. You can be confident in his truth. You can be confident in how he's called you to live. As we work through the letter of 1 John and then 2 and 3 John as well over the next few months, we will learn that confidence and assurance come from abiding in Jesus and walking in his ways. From just remaining in Christ, staying, setting up camp in his truth and going deeper and deeper into who he is and what he says. So in this first chapter... John's going to lay two foundation blocks for us that serve to to guide us through the rest of the letter. And the first foundation block is an encouragement to share in the life of the word of life. Share in the life of the word of life. That might sound odd or, 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 or overly churchy, but I think you'll see as we go through this first paragraph, you'll see what I mean here. Share in the life of the word of life. You might have picked up on, as I read through chapter 1, John's letter sounds different than most letters. Most letters, whether in the Bible or in other even just letters that we write today, although it's kind of a lost art, really. But usually there's a, a greeting of some kind. There's names at the beginning from this person to this person. Hope you're doing well. Or as Paul usually writes, grace and peace. But John just jumps right in. He immediately talks about his message. And and what John is doing at the beginning here is he's laying the foundation for all that he's about to say. And you can feel, you can sense from the very start there's this urgency, there's this weight to what he writes. And he immediately starts with this really strong statement of truth. Look with me again at verse 1. Listen for for a rhythm here. There's a rhythm to the way John is writing He says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This is an announcement of John's message. He says, we being the apostles, John and, and, and those who were the first, some of the first followers of Christ, 
we have taught you about the word of life. And the word of life is not just an idea. It's not just a list of rules. It's not just our opinion. The word of life is a person. This person, he says in verse 1, which was from the beginning. Sounds really similar to how John starts his gospel, the gospel of John that you're studying in life class right now. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And then here he writes, That which was from the beginning. This person that John is talking about is more than just some mere human. He's God. He's from the beginning. He's eternal. He has always existed and always will exist. And he adds to that, that John has heard this person and seen this person and looked upon this person and touched this person. There's a full sensory experience here, all the senses. And John says, the word of life, the one who is from the beginning is someone we've heard, we've seen him, we've touched him. He's real. We saw him with our own eyes. We heard him with our own ears. We touched him. And he expands on this in verse 2. He says, the life, the the word of life, was made manifest. And we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's saying that this word of life was revealed. He was made visible. He's saying God revealed his son to us. And he is real, and he is as real as it gets. And then John continues in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, he emphasizes it again. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that, here's why John is teaching them these things, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now we find out who he's been talking about this whole time. He's been talking about Jesus. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus' voice. He touched Jesus' hands. He ate meals with Jesus. He heard Jesus' teaching. And he's saying this Jesus is the one who's from the beginning. He's eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. He is God. He's the word of life. And he says, I've told you about him. You saw this in verse 3. I've told you about him so that you may have fellowship with us. If there was ever a word that we only really use in the church world and doesn't really make sense outside of the church world, it's the word fellowship. If you think about it, if you said that to, if if you go to church a lot and and, and attend church a lot, if you said that to one of your friends that never goes to church, hey, man, you just want to get together and fellowship? They'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? It's kind of a word we throw around and don't really think about. We just associate fellowship. If there's a, some number of Christians, plural, and there's food, it's fellowship. That's how it's often used, right? Like we have, we're guilty, we have a room in our building called the fellowship hall. People eat food in there. We hang out in there. We have great conversations. And, of course, many of your, some of your life classes are, are, are in there as well. 
But what does that word mean? So that you may have fellowship with us. You're going to see this word come up multiple times in this chapter. So it's an important word for us to understand. Fellowship means to to share a common life. To share a life in Jesus. To be connected to one another through Christ and the life that results from that. So we could rewrite this verse and re-understand this verse as John saying, we have proclaimed Jesus to you because we want you to share in the life that we share in Jesus. He's the word of life. He's the giver of eternal life. And we want you to experience what we've experienced from him. And this is where John is making the connection to them and to us. He's saying Jesus is real. I know you feel unsettled that maybe you've doubted that what his, he said is true is really true, that what he did, he really did. But John's saying Jesus is real. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, really came to earth. He really died on the cross. He really rose again. And he is really in heaven right now. And because of that, you and I can really, genuinely, eternally be brought into a relationship with him. There's a difference between knowing about something and knowing the significance of something. There's a difference between knowing something and then experiencing what you know. I don't know if you have ever been driving down the road when the light is on at Krispy Kreme, meaning like the donuts are hot and fresh. Some of y'all are like drooling a little bit while we're thinking about this. But I could stand up here and talk to you about Krispy Kreme and why they're good and why when the light's on, you stop whatever you're doing and pull your car into that place. But if I brought, and I, I did not, this is not a setup for, all right, let's bring out 500 donuts. It's not what we're doing. But if I brought them and gave you one and you experienced it, completely different thing. What John is doing is saying, it's not just about knowing about Jesus. It's also knowing about Jesus and knowing why that matters and experiencing him and knowing the significance of who he is and what he's done. Remember, John is writing to Christians that are unsettled. They're unsure. They're hearing statements that compete with the truth they've heard from John, and they don't know what to believe. And so John doesn't speak into their unsettledness. He doesn't speak into their doubt with words about their faith. It's not where he starts. He doesn't speak into their doubt with words about their lives. That's not where he starts. He starts speaking with clear, bright, loud words about Jesus. Because he knows their unsettledness is only going to be resolved with more and more of Jesus. He's showing us, them and us, that the truths of Christianity are grounded in history. We're listening to the words of a man who saw Jesus with his eyes as real and eyes you are seeing each other right now. He heard his voice as real as you're hearing my voice right now. And he's saying all this is objectively truth. It's all true. 
What makes Christianity unique? One of the things that makes Christianity unique compared to other claims of truth and claims of religions that are out there is that at the very center of the Christian message is not a list of do's and don'ts for you and I to follow. There are commands in the Bible, but those aren't the center. At the very center of Christianity is not a package of facts that you just kind of download into your brain. There are truths that we need to know and know well. But it's not just statements. At the very center of Christianity is not just religious traditions. We do have traditions and rhythms that the Lord has given us. We're going to do one this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But it's not the center. At the very center of Christianity is a real person. The word of life. Jesus Christ. And this whole first section is John saying there's a difference between knowing the truth about Jesus and experiencing the truth about Jesus. There's a difference between knowing who Jesus is and knowing the significance of who Jesus is. So for some of you, you have faith in Jesus. You're trusting him. But maybe you feel shaky in your faith. You feel unsure of whether or not your faith is real, and you feel unsure maybe of whether or not all of this is real and true. Hear John's words here as an invitation to renew your trust in Christ. Whatever it is that's making you unsettled, turn your eyes from that and look to Christ and then look back. He's real. He's true. You know him. You share in his life. You have fellowship with him. For others of you, maybe you're not sure what to think of Jesus, of Christianity, of of church in general. Maybe you feel skeptical because of what you've heard those outside Christianity say about Christianity, or you're skeptical because you've seen how some Christians or churches behave. I understand. Don't feel like when you come in here, you have to leave all your doubts and questions out there and you have to come in here and act like you have it all together. This is not that kind of place. Hear these words as an invitation to consider the perspective of a man who saw and heard and touched Jesus. It makes a lot more sense I'm not claiming this will change your mind. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. The Lord is in control of that. But doesn't it make a lot more sense to consider the claims of a person that has experienced Christ and saw him and heard him and touched him than someone who doesn't even trust Jesus? If you were looking on your phone for reviews about a restaurant to see whether or not you wanted to go there, and somebody left a review and said, never been to this place, but the service is slow and the food is horrible. You wouldn't listen to that. They've never been there. So if you're going to really consider and evaluate the claims of Christianity, doesn't it make sense to listen and consider the words and teachings of a person who really knows and has experienced who Jesus is? Through this ancient letter, the Lord is inviting all of us to share in the life of the word of life. We're going to move into the, the body of the letter here, this second paragraph. And we'll hear another call for us, another charge, another encouragement 
and that is to walk in the light of the God of light. Walk in the light of the God of light. As we step into verses 5 through 10, we're bringing the foundation of verses 1 through 4 with us. So don't, don't leave that back there. Bring that with you. We're, we're bringing all that with us because this whole letter is built on that. John is writing with the authority of one who received truth directly from Jesus, and he's passing that on to other people. In this section, verses 5 through 10, John is going to begin to show us that when you share in the life of the word of life, when you have fellowship with Christ, when you genuinely know him, there's a certain kind of lifestyle that comes from that. There's a certain way you walk if you truly know him. Let's look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. So that same authority that we just heard in verses 1 to 4 is still there. John's saying, I'm not passing on something to you that I just made up. I'm not passing on something to you that's just my opinion. I've heard it from him, from Jesus, and proclaiming it to you. Here's the message, verse 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This sentence right there, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, it's a, it's a heading over the whole section. It's, a, it's an anchor point for the whole letter. There's two really key statements about God in 1 John. The second one you're probably more familiar with. The first one is this, God is light. The second one will show up in chapter 4, God is love. And those two anchor points, everything, the letter in, everything else in the letter is flowing out of those two spots, those two truths. So essentially, one way to understand 1 John, and there's a lot of different opinions on how to structure this book and look at it. It's a very different letter. But one of the ways to understand it is God is light. This is true. We're going to talk about what that means. God is love. This is true. We're going to talk about what that means. Everything else in the letter is explaining here's how we should live because of that, because those things are true about God. Let's focus on this one for now. John says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John uses this analogy of light. It's an analogy. He's not trying to say God is light or light is God in some kind of way like that. But he's using this analogy to teach us about the character of God. I think it's fitting because when God created the universe, the very first thing he created, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Light sustains life. Light reveals what's hidden. Light protects us. Light exposes things. God is light is a statement about God's holiness. That God himself is brilliantly pure and perfect. In him is no darkness at all, John says. He's absolutely righteous. There is no error in him. There is no evil in him. There are no flaws in him. There are no mistakes in him. There are no shortcomings in him. This is a crucial truth because if God is not perfectly holy, if God is not absolutely righteous, then the message of the gospel does not matter. If this is not true, this book does not matter. But because he is light, because he is holy, that means he is God and we are not. He is God and you are not. 
He is God. I am not. He defines what is right and wrong. He defines what is true and false. He alone has the authority to do those things. You and I do not have the authority to come up with what is true. You and I don't have the authority or ability to define categories on our own for what is true and false or right and wrong. Only God can do that. God himself is the standard, and everyone and everything is accountable to him. And the rest of the section that we're going to see plays out why this truth is important. And we're going to see three different statements. You'll see here. John's going to say three different times. If we say this, if we say this, if we say this, and he's pointing out errors, wrong ways of thinking to help us align ourselves with truth. But in the, in the end, what I want us to see is that he's giving us two ways to walk. You can either live like this is true and walk in the light, or you can live like this is not true and walk in darkness. Let's see how he plays this out. Look with me at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, with, with God who is light, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So you see this contrast here between walking in darkness and walking in light. And that important word pops up again. Did you see the word fellowship again show up? If we say, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he's saying, if you walk in darkness, you don't have fellowship with God. If you walk in a way, if walk meaning live your lifestyle, the pattern of your life, if you walk in a way that is inconsistent with who God is, you don't have fellowship with him. You don't know him. You cannot be in fellowship with a holy God and make sin the pattern of your life. Light and darkness cannot coexist at the same time. If we say that God is God, but we live as if we are God and we do what we want, John says we lie and don't practice the truth. To be sure, the word walk here is really important because John's talking about the pattern of your life, not some one-time act, but the ongoing description of your life, what your life looks like overall. You cannot have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. Then he gives us the opposite in verse 7. Look there with me. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship, there's the word again, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Genuine fellowship with God is seen in those who walk in the light, which means we live according to his commands, we live according to his promises, that we see as God sees, we respond as God responds, we act as God acts, we speak as God speaks. This is walking in the light. A holy God produces holy people through those that know him. 
The God of light guides us to walk in the light. It's not our obedience. John is not saying it's our obedience that earns fellowship with God. But rather, our obedience shows, it demonstrates that we have fellowship with God. Walking in darkness versus walking in the light. The question for us here is whose words are shaping how you walk? We can say, I believe in God, but if it's ultimately my words and my opinion and what I define as true and false that defines how I walk, I don't have fellowship with God. Whose words shape how you walk? Who is the authority in your life? I know you may have other authorities, parents, grandparents, boss, teacher, coaches, but who is the ultimate authority in your life? Who determines how you live? Is it the Lord? Yourself? Other people's opinions? Are you walking in light or walking in darkness? The next pair comes in verse 8. Let's look there together. He's going to, this is not a separate teaching here. This is a continuation of the same thing. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only, he says here in verse 8, not only do you not have fellowship with God if you walk in sin, but you also don't have fellowship with God if you deny your sin. You don't have fellowship with God if you deny your sin. The concept of sin, of wrongdoing, of disobedience, of error on our part implies that we are accountable to God. So if we deny that we have sin, then we're denying that God has authority. If we seek to minimize our sin or justify our sin or blame it on someone else, we are saying we have no sin. We are saying God is not holy and he is not God. And and he connects this. Look down in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So not only are we lying to ourselves when we justify our sin or cover it up or hide it, but we're also lying about who God is and what he says. But the opposite of denying our sin is verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Genuine fellowship with God is seen in those who confess their sin, who openly acknowledge the ways they've wronged God in their thoughts, in their words, in their actions, in what we've done and what we've left undone. The two errors that John is correcting here in verses 6 through 10 is one, he wants us to know, wants us to resist this error that how you live after you're saved doesn't matter. He said that's wrong. Those who have fellowship with God, they walk in the light. They don't walk in darkness. The other error is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum to say that those who live after they've been saved by God, their lives are perfect. They never mess up. They never make mistakes. He's saying, nope, that's wrong. Those who walk in the light aren't those who perfectly obey God. They're those who, they still sin, but they know where to go. 
when they sin. They confess their sin to God. So what are you doing to deal with your sin? How are you dealing with it? Whether we, whether we acknowledge or not, we all have sin. We've all disobeyed the Lord. We've all wronged him. We've all spurned his authority. And whether we realize it or not, we are all dealing with it in one way or another. Our sin can be covered up or it can be covered. It can be covered up by us trying to hide it, by us just piling on the blame of other people on top of it, by us just minimizing it, justifying it. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as that person. Or it can be covered by the blood of Jesus. And I will tell you, covered is much better than covered up. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And did you notice that in both of these pairs of saints here, John brings us to the same remedy. He says the same thing twice here. He says in verse 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Then down to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Twice talking about us being cleansed by Jesus. This brings us back to where we started all of this. The ultimate source of real fellowship with God, the ultimate foundation of a life with the word of life, of walking in the light, is the one that John heard and saw and touched, and the one who gives us eternal life by giving his own life on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus, the work of Jesus, is the doorway to fellowship with God, the foundation of fellowship with God. The whole whole building of fellowship with God is the work of Christ. And John is writing to these unsettled Christians, and he knows they're unsettled because because of their confusion about what's true, because of the changing culture, because other teachings that have covered up all the foundation of their faith, and they can't really see the foundation clearly. And in his writing, it's as if he's just going, and blowing it all off so they can look, oh, that's right. He's the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. And whether you lived in the ancient world of John's day or the modern world of today, that's always the foundation. That's always the message that we need, that we can share in the life of the word of life, Jesus, and we can walk in the light of the God of light, not by denying our sin, but by, because of Jesus, confessing our sin. And not by walking in darkness and just making up our own rules for right and wrong, but because of Jesus, walking in the light. Because his blood cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. John's just getting started with these truths. He's going to unpack them over and over throughout this letter. But let's allow these truths to bring us to reflect on the foundation of Jesus as we come to the Lord's table together.